Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Jaeger CPA Review and more. This podcast is sponsored by Jaeger CPA Review, the course provider that deals only with the ASCPA blueprints. Please go to the JaegerCPAReview.com website and look at our various products. And we believe in seeing is believing. And therefore, please look at our three-day free trial. Pick a subject, and it'll give you three days free access unlimited to that product. And I believe that once you look at that product and see how it works, you will pick Jaeger CPA Review as your course provider. If you have any questions, you can reach us at 301-874-4900. If you press 5, you may even talk to Phil Jaeger. Take care, everyone, on your journey for the CPA exam. We wish you the best and good luck. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of CPA Review and More. We are pleased to bring you the number one podcast for CPAs and CPA candidates. If you'd like to learn more about how Jaeger CPA Review can help you, find us on our website at JaegerCPAReview.com. Now, here's your host, Phil Jaeger. It sounds like you enjoyed uh, financial planning more because you like talking to people. Uh, and do you have that now as, as a, an employee in a state and local government? I mean, are you really uh, dealing with people or you basically work on your own? Uh, you see what my question is? Yeah, um, really good question. And the answer is, once again, all the above. Um, I I do work on my own kind of in a silo, but I also work with other people. I'm in charge of outreach. Um, I do an internal outreach. I do some external outreaches. Um, of course, since the pandemic, a lot of that's on, you know, a Zoom type setting, but that used to all be in person. So I still have that ability. And a lot of the things I did in the financial planning setting have come handy for that. Do you feel to get a job in state and local government, you need a CPA? All right. Did you need a CPA? You don't. And, and it was kind of rare when I started, but it will definitely help. I mean, if you had a CPA, it, it's going to be, I think in that type of setting, it'll be some instant credibility. Credibility as far as what? Uh, did you get, when you got the CPA, all right, did they increase your salary tremendously? Did they give you a better position? All right. What did the CPA do for you? Um, so far, because I've only been at CPA for about seven weeks now, so, so far, nothing. Oh, that's right. You've only been seven weeks. Yeah. And yeah. Tom was nice enough to call, contact us. All right. And by the way, I did congratulate you, I hope. Yes, you I did. did. Okay. All right. So Tom is a new CPA. Okay. So you're at the state and local government. You tell someone that you have the CPA now. What did the person you work under or whatever, what did they do and say, now, Tom, you're a CPA. This is what we can do for you. Did they do anything for you to um, give you a, a position? You know, um, it, it, not at that point. I, I think what I was referring to is if you're trying to get into that, like you're interviewing with another, you know, there's 12 people interviewing that they've never met before. I think there'd be a lot of credibility from someone being a CPA because I've heard that when they've come back from interview panels. We someone of their CPA and, and it, it really kind of, you know, it got their attention. Why didn't you go the corporate route? I mean, uh, 
did you think about going to a corporation instead of a state and local government? Uh, and I realized the financial planning was sort of a corporation. Did anything cross your mind as far as, well, maybe I'd prefer to do corporate accounting? Did that ever come up at all? It did. I, I think I, I was so into trying to get a kind of a managed life where, you know, I, I was working less than 50 hours a week. So I, I think that, that that's why I've been in that setting for 10 years, because it, it works with my lifestyle really well. Yeah, it sounds like you want a quality of life. That's the most important thing. Yeah, I, I'm pretty close to family. Like I said, I have a daughter that just turned four, very close to me. You know, I walk there to school in the morning and, you know, so that's very important to me. So, it's, you know, would you agree that uh, because you want that quality of life, uh, public accounting is probably not for you. Is that correct? Because of the hours? And, and at this point, I would say you're you're right. I, I think that I, I did get some experience, like I said, in the corporate side of things. I have worked a little bit with firms that we had partnerships with in the past um, but for the next 20 years probably not probably not public accounting let's talk about uh, the challenges of taking the exam in your mid-40s okay all right obviously i'm sure you heard that you should have taken the exam right out of school okay and now you're going to go starting in the 40s all right and i've been out of school a while correct you've been out of school a while all right Great. how do you get back into the student mode if you want to call it that i mean all right you you wouldn't you know if unless you you weren't studying for the cpa exam you don't have to do homework you have to do questions all right you had your life what made you decide hey all right i haven't taken the exam i'm 44 all right uh what how do you how do you change from being a non-student to a student again i think the highest correlation between any one thing and passing the cpa exam is how badly you want it um, and the second thing is, I think you have to be really honest with yourself about what this is. I mean, this is some people consider it the hardest professional exam in the world. You have to be honest with yourself about your strengths and your weaknesses. Like me being 15 years since my last accounting class, that's a, something to consider. I had to make it, I had to plan accordingly. And I think you have to come up with a plan that works for you. And, and you can go on a forum and say, what should I do to pass this? And you'll get 80 different things. And you have to find what works for you. Like me, I'm a distance runner. Um, I, I run you know, 5k races, half marathons, and I tried to take a similar approach because I had some success with that. And with the, with the running, you don't wake up one day and decide you're going to run 13 miles. You know, it's a daily thing, you know, you're two, three, four miles a day. And that's kind of the approach I took with the studying. This approach I took was I set a time goal. I'm very goal oriented. And I started with just 15 hours a week. I knew I could do two hours at night in the evening. Um, I knew I could I could do five on weekends. And that's how I got started. So just the same thing, setting goals. Um, once again, what works for you? I'm a night person. I'm, I can study between eight, nine at night and midnight. You know, someone else might tell you, get up early in the morning and study. Well, that I'd have about two brain cells if I did that, that would actually be helping me, you know. <laughs> So you set up a plan. I'm going to study, uh, you know, Monday through Thursday or Friday, two hours a night. Yeah. Okay? And uh, and also weekends. You said how many hours? On, it was a Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, Saturday. So I tried to take Thursday off, but sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. So I was two hours a day, 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and then I tried to get seven hours on the weekend, you know, and, and for the most part, it worked. I, I hit that goal just about every week. So every week uh, you kept to that? Or how many weeks did you not keep to that? Um, you-, you know, interesting you bring that up because the only time I didn't really keep to that was when the pandemic first hit, because here I am 200 and some hours into studying for FAR, all the tests are canceled and um, I didn't really know what to, there was a couple of weeks, you know, I'm watching the news nonstop. And I think it, it was honestly, it was your webinars. You started having free webinars on Sunday. And I remember you saying, what better time is there to study? And, and I thought about it. I said, well, you know, there's no more commuting to work. Church is canceled. Family gatherings are canceled. Everything. So there's nothing open. It was a perfect time. So it took a couple of weeks for that to really hit. Um, now, I didn't have there wasn't a test available for months from then. So I went back and I took a college class that was part of the education requirement was the final piece. And I tried to keep the information alive. You know, I studied about 10 or 11 hours a week until I could see there was going to be a test available. And then I started to really increase it. So there was a little difference when the pandemic first started. Sometimes with score releases, when you're waiting for a score, I didn't quite hit that. But other than that, I pretty much hit the the goal. And I ended up increasing it to 20 hours a week as I got further on. And those live virtual classes that we ran, all right, do you know why I ran those? I don't know if you remember. I told everyone why I ran those things. Do you remember? Yeah, I thought you said that because there was a pandemic, you thought that this was one of the best things you could do, that we could stay safe. What better is there to do than study during this time period? If I remember right, it was something having to do with that. Yeah, it was, uh, I had read something someplace. Uh, it was probably on the internet, you know, these forums uh, where they, everyone talks to each other. Uh, and someone wrote, this is not a good time. Don't take the CPA exam. You probably won't be able to get a, uh, Prometrics will be closed and you won't be able to sit for the exam. All right, so don't take the exam. And I saw that. And then I decided I didn't really like what that person said, all right? And I felt this is the best time, all right? No commuting. Uh, you have more time. Uh, you know, use the time. And uh, actually, we want to thank the Zoom company <laughs> because without Zoom, we couldn't have done these live virtual classes, all right? Yeah, yeah Phil, that, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. That That's what... Um, when you were saying that on those Sunday webinars, it really hit me like, wait a minute, this is actually an opportunity as far as a CPA exam. You know, I, I had been kind of devastated at first. And then when I started thinking about it, I realized this is the best opportunity to take the exam. The, the one thing that surprised me a little bit, though, was I, I know you're a little older, Phil, but it was almost like you had lived through a pandemic. Me, I'm, I'm, I'm the new 30s. Yeah, the new thing. Well, the last pandemic was in 1916. I'm like, Phil hasn't been yeah, here. Yeah, I was there. The Spanish flu? You talking about Spanish the, flu? Yeah, Spanish flu, yeah, 1907, yeah. right in there. And I was like, it was almost like you knew what you were doing and you'd been through this before. Yeah. Uh, well, there's never been a, first of all, uh, I don't remember them canceling the exams back years ago for any pandemic. Uh, and this was, this actually, this was like our bubonic plague. That's what it was. Yeah. And it's still going on in many respects, you know. But it is. I, I really thought, God, you know, you're home. The, the worst thing I found when people took a course, and we did live courses, you know, in the DC area, and people would come at six o'clock and it was live. I would stand up there talking, whatever. 
All right. People would walk in. They said, oh, my gosh, took me forever to get across, you know, from D.C. to northern Virginia. I'm tired just from driving here. So now there was no driving. All right. All you had to do was, you know, turn on the virtual thing. All right. And your commute would basically be from maybe one room to another room. All right. And we didn't know how people would feel about this thing. And people actually, uh, they really uh, liked it. They really liked it. But, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we offered it and we still offer it. Just, you know, we still offer these things. And we got 80 people who will sign up. We'll have 80 people sign up for part, you know, like financial account. And then 30 of them show up. I don't know what the thing is, why people need to sign up for something, all right, and not show up. Especially the fact that, God, we're giving them free information, all right? And I just don't understand. I don't know if it's the generation. I don't know what it is. Did you have Ron also, the other instructor, Ron Primoroso? Yeah, Ron, I, I, um, on those webinars, on those Sunday webinars. So, so Ron also. And, uh, you know, but the thing is, I, I don't know, this, you know, I, I try to analyze the candidates out there, all right? 80 people, do they just like to sign their name up or, you know, and then maybe 25, 30 of them show up. Uh, I can't figure that out. I don't know. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts yeah, that, on that? Uh, that, that's the case in a lot of webinars that I participate in. You know, they'll have they had the in-person ones. They'd have a hundred people sign up for, and fifty people would show up. And the virtual ones are similar percentages. So that, that's just that's part of our world today, I think. Right, but except that the virtual CPA review classes we're giving, they should be watching that because they're taking the CPA exam. Now, I grant you, I had to go for continuing professional education after I got certified. And before we had all this internet stuff, I'd have to go to a facility someplace and sit there and listen to an instructor who could put you to sleep, as we used to call them a room clearer, okay? And I'd be, I'd always sit in the back, all the way in the back, okay? And a lot of people sat in the back and brought newspapers, magazines, because the person was, was really, it was bad. But you know what? I had to go, and they did not let you out of there until the end of the seminar. You could just show up and leave. But uh, that's different. I wasn't going for a CPA. I was already a CPA. I was, yes, I was forced to go for continuing education. Yeah. But now, all right, we're giving seminars for people who are definitely going to study and take the CPA exam. So here it is. We, you're getting a free review course in a way. All right. I would think that's enough of an enticement, considering you want to get the CPA to come to these classes. You know, the reason I make a big stink over this is because it's a lot it's a lot more fun teaching 60 people and getting them to participate than having 30 some odd people, you know. Yeah, uh, I, I would agree with that from from presentations I've done. I, I think it's a lot easier with larger groups, too. Did you get a lot out of those virtual classes? Do you? The way it's done with the Zoom, uh, uh, did you? Feel, we can't do live classes. Obviously, where you come to, you know, my my room here, and you watch me teach. Okay, the Zoom was the best thing they had. Did you feel that the Zoom was is Zoom a good idea to run these types of live classes? Yeah, I, I got a lot out of them, and like I said, I think the most I ever got out of them was was the encouragement to 
charge forward with the CPA exam, the um, there was a there might be a tendency for a little bit of hit and miss because like financial accounting reporting is such a big area. You 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 can only cover three four topics. It might be a topic that's really one I need. It might not. Um, so I think you're going to always have that with a webinar where it's hard to hit exactly. You know for 30, 60 people exactly where they're at, but um, I, I found them beneficial. How long did it take you to get back into the mode of being a student? All right. You know, you weren't a student for quite a while. All right. Now you set up, I'm going to study this, this, this. How hard was that to start with and keep to it? All right. It was hard the first few weeks, okay, because, you know, I hadn't had a, my last accounting class before that. This is November of 19, and my last accounting class was ended in May of 06. So we're talking 14 years later, you know, and I, I think that the first few weeks was hard. But once I got on that system, you know, once I went three, four weeks and I had studied, and like I said, I started out small, just 15 hours a week which I later found that maybe that wasn't the greatest approach, but it definitely got me started. Where'd you study, at home or uh, you went someplace quiet? Pretty much at home, exclusively at home. And would you agree that if you're married, all right, your spouse has to be very supportive of what you're doing? Because really, in essence, you have a, you know, a young child, all right, and it ends up that really the spouse who's not taking the exam uh, picks up the burden in many respects. All right. So you have to have a very supportive spouse. Isn't that correct? Yeah. Well, and I tried to minimize that by doing all most of studying when my daughter was in bed. So that's why I waited till 830 at night. But even with that, you need to have a supportive spouse. I think they ought to have like a quasi designation, like a SCPA spouse of a CPA. <laughs> they, they, you know, I mean, you, your wife. Uh, you, let you, me write you, that, that down as another course, SCPA. <laughs> you know, my, I mean, my wife's not going to talk to you about inventory or depreciation, but I mean, she's been through a lot of this too. And, you know. You know, it's funny you say that. My wife was never an accounting major. She majored in biology. But, you know, she really, she was sort of like the person when we did the live courses, she was the person that would greet the students as they came into the classroom. And after a while, they thought she was an accountant, all right? And she, all she knew was terms like uh, lower of cost of market, you know, things like that. She had no idea what it meant, all right? But I'm telling you, she has sat in these classes like 30 years, all right? And but you couldn't. She she's not. As I said, she doesn't have the accounting background, and she would not want to be an accountant. All right. Was you is your wife? What does your wife do as far as is um, she staying home now or is she working? Yeah, she she stays home with with the, um, our daughter mainly. I mean, she, she's her background is more um, writing. She's been a freelance writer. She's been oh. in publishing, public relations, things like that. You know, so she does a few things on the side, but mainly she's her focus is our daughter. Now, what she's uh, she did public relations. You live in Lansing, Michigan. Yeah. Is that the town that Michael Moore keeps talking about uh, in his uh, videos? I'm just curious. Um, is that where the water was destroyed or something? Um, no, that that would be the the neighbor of Flint, Michigan. They're about oh, okay. 48 miles northeast of here, something like that. 50 uh, miles. Is Lansing have a lot of companies uh, to go? Did you, are, were you born and raised in Lansing? Is that what you um, were? 
Now, I actually was born and raised in northern Michigan, northern lower Michigan. Which is I, what? Can you name a city there? Um, Alpena. No. How um, far are you from? I only know one city. How far are you from Detroit area? Um, Detroit, I, I right now I'm about an, an hour and 15 minutes, but I was about four hours from it when I was in northern Michigan. So right now I'm, I'm in southern Michigan. That, you know, it's an hour and 15 minutes away. Um, that you might have heard of the Mackinac Bridge, you probably have. I went to Mackinac Island once, yeah, yeah. So, Mac, so we're about a, an hour and a half from that. You know, you're getting into northern Michigan at that point. We we're from there. I moved down here actually to go to college and I stayed in the area. So, now, this did you go to college? Where did you go to college? Um, Michigan State University. Oh, very good, very good, yeah. Yeah, so I went there, and like I said, and then I, after I ended up going to the community college, I, I lucked out. There's a community college here that has a, a phenomenal program for accounting. <laughs> so um, as far as this area, it's got the state government. It has colleges, universities. It's got General Motors. So, th so there's some things going on here. Lansing is not the capital of Michigan, is it? Lansing is the capital. Oh, yeah. it is the capital. Okay, yeah. okay. That's why... You have a lot of state and local government. Yes. If you could go back uh, when you were younger, now I know, I know you're the new 34. Is that what you said? Yeah, All right. Well, thir 36 and a half. 36 and a half. Okay. And I was going to say 37, if that's okay. I don't want to okay. talk there. All right. But uh, if you went back and you said to yourself, "All right, I am now 18 years old. All right. I'm going to go to college. All right. What do you think you would have said about if I would have told you, all right, Tom, you need to become a business major and accountant, all right? What would you have said to me? You know, it's interesting because I took an accounting class my second year of college. And, you know, I said, this is interesting, but I, I couldn't sit still for it. So I ended up going and getting a degree in economics. What did you find interesting about it? Um, I thought it was it was interesting because I mean you're you're classifying transactions, you've got your whole debits and credits things, you're getting things to balance, you're solving problems. Um, it involves money. I thought that part was interesting. It's like a puzzle, isn't it? But just like a puzzle, you put it together. I have trouble sitting still now, but I really had trouble sitting still back then. So I just didn't quite have the focus back then. So I, I got a degree in economics. It it wasn't until a few years after that I went back for accounting. You know, see, to me, tax planning was more of a puzzle than doing just plain accounting because uh, I had a tax practice. People would come in and say, hey, uh, what should I do? I'm paying too much taxes. Can you come up with ways? That to me is more of a puzzle than doing debits and credits. All right. Did that attract you at all? I mean, you seem to like to do puzzles. Um, didn't you have yeah, more I of a puzzle with tax planning? Yeah, I, I like tag. It, it was a puzzle and, and then also a very powerful tool. I mean, we can here you have all this money, you've got business losses, so you're technically in the 0% tax bracket. Why don't we do this big Roth conversion, move all this money to, to where it's never going to be taxed again um, because of the fact that your income's down because of these business losses? You know, so things like that, I thought, wow, that's a, we can, you know, harvest some capital gains at 0% federal right now. I mean, so things like that, that, that really kind of drew, it was something I could really get instant bang for my buck off. Did you take a decrease in salary when you went to the, from the uh, financial planning area to the state and local government or was um, it lateral? Uh, it was pretty much lateral. 
in um I won't go in too much detail about where I work, but it, it was the type of company that the way it's set up, it was it was hard to really make much money in the accounting side. So I ended up um you know, it's one of those jobs you stay at two or three years and get experience because of the Great Recession. I stayed there five years, but I got phenomenal experience there. I always ask people this question. All right. Getting a CPA has it changed your life. Now, you just got the CPA. All right. But, right. All right. How do you think the CPA will now change your life? I think it it'll open up some doors, you know, saying so, like I said, even in the governmental setting, I don't plan on doing the exact same thing for the next 20 years. Um, I'd like to do some things on the side, like teaching. Honestly, I'd see myself being similar to you in the fact that I don't think I'm going to be done at 65. I think I'll probably have some type of business, do some consulting. I don't know what it'll look like then, but, you know, I, I could see, you know, that this being a something for several years to come. Uh, what makes you think I'm 65? You know, I'm not really 65. I'm, I really just turned 48. You, you just okay. turned, you, you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing. In the future, you feel you're not in the future. Yeah, probably in the year 2050. Uh, no, I. You know, well, I, I I think you've talked about it. The fact that you, you know you, you're not one of these people that's going to be done at you know retire and go maybe play golf or something. That's just not you. Um, I think it's really important, first of all, that you do what you enjoy doing, all right? And just because, all right, miraculously, they say, oh, you're 65 now. It's time to retire, all right? I think retirement is, could be a bad thing for a lot of people, all right? Because you don't have a purpose anymore getting up in the morning, okay? All right? You get, you have a purpose, all right? You still enjoy what you're doing. And, of course, you're not my age, all right? So, but no, I, I would recommend to most people, and the reason I'll tell you why I would recommend not to use the word retirement or retire is uh, I had a disc jockey uh, friend in New York uh, who is, uh, you know, he's on, he's on national, uh, he does 60s music all over, you know, on the radio. But I once said to him, uh, Bruce, all right, are you going to retire? Now, Bruce is in his mid 80s, I think. All right. I'm not in my mid 80s. Okay. But I said, Bruce, are you going to retire? And he says, Phil, I don't want you to use that word retire. He says, remember, age is only a number. And that's true. You never know he's that age. He's still got that spunk going. And, you know, and I think that's important. And I also believe that if you don't retire, all right, you're still around people. You got to be able to keep talking to people instead of sitting and you know i know people are retired they go sit and watch tv all day okay and then they realize this is boring as can be so i got to get back into it and doing and actually all right doing teaching is a great way i mean i find that extremely rewarding i've done it all I, you know corporate financial planning i was a cfp at one time all right okay. i gave it up but you know i did all these different areas and I have to say, the area that I uh, disliked the most was doing public accounting, auditing. Oh, my gosh, that was so boring. But I, I like anything where you can talk to people. All right. That's the main thing. And uh, by the way, you work at home now, don't you? Correct. All right. Uh, is that going to go on for the indefinite period or are you going back to work at the state and local government? Um, indefinitely. So at least probably the next year. 
you know, obviously no one knows what's going to happen with this pandemic and how it change. Yeah. Another, another strain is out there. It's like, uh, uh, by the way, staying home, uh, is that sort of a change? Uh, I mean, at first I would get on my wife's nerves. (laughs) She almost would wish that I wasn't home that much. uh, Well, you know, I used to think that bigger houses were such a waste, like, you know, two, 3,000 square feet. And and I'm a minimalist, you know, with a smaller house. And now I'm thinking maybe there's something to that bigger house thing. I would go and probably buy a 20,000 square foot home. Yeah. (laughs) If there was a pandemic going on forever, I probably would too. Yeah. And then at night you can meet and, you know, start talking about what you did during the day. And then I I don't know how I'd pay the taxes on that home, but. Well, you see, now you're looking at the small details of life. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Just looking at it, you know, $30,000 tax bill, but yeah. Yeah, Tom, uh, I want to congratulate you on passing the exam. All right. It is really, no matter what age you are, it's a real accomplishment. Okay. And it's because, and by the way, the passing rates they give for, you know, number of people passing I don't think they're actual. I mean, they're not passing 40 and 50% on a part. Uh, and the only reason I say that is because I brought it up to someone at the ICPA examination. I said, we never had those passing rates, 40, 50% on a part. I mean, maybe it was 13, 14%. Well, it's, we, it's about the same thing, but you know, it, and I said, well, how do you get this passing rate thing? How do you determine it's 40% BEC? He said, we have a method. You know, I still don't know how they determine who they pass. But uh, you know what? It makes no difference. You pass, all right? And I hope the CPA uh, brings you a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, well, happiness in a way. It should bring you happiness. And your career just gets better and better and better, okay? And by the way, I think your wife is a terrific person. I just got to see her for a second or two. But you have to have a supportive wife or yep. supportive husband, a supportive partner, whatever, to get you through this exam. Because there are periods of time where you do get down in the dumps. Did you get down in the dumps at times? At times, it, you know, and that's a good point about the supportive partner and the supportive family. And in one of the reviews I wrote, you'll you'll hear you'll see a lot that I uh, I, I mentioned them quite a bit. My, my daughter too. You know, I'm saying she's four now, but you know, she she went through this too. You know. Four is a good age, all right? But just remember, it's just around the corner. She'll start dating, (laughs) okay? And then you'll want to do a complete, uh, you know, investigation on the people she's dating, you know? But uh, they grow up very fast, I can tell you that. Anyway, Tom, lots of luck. And I thank you so much for being a guest on this uh, podcast. It'll help people in many respects as far as what you went through studying for the exam and either way, you've got to make time. Do you agree? You have, to make, you have to make time to pass this exam, all right? If you come up with excuses, oh, I couldn't do it that day because of this reason, all right? Would you say you have to give up things to pass the exam? Yeah, this exam will, life is going to quickly jump out in every area. I mean, between your kids getting sick, this has to really be a priority. It has to be a top plan because everything will easily get in the way, you know, no matter what it is. And it just, that, that's the key with it. It's, it has to be a priority. It definitely does. And also stay well, stay healthy. All right. And I hope we'll keep in touch. And uh, once again, 
tell your wife I said hello. I don't know if she's standing next to you or not, but all right, just tell her uh, it was nice meeting her for a few seconds, okay? And uh, hopefully uh, we'll have you on another time after you've had the CPA for a while. And I'm just curious what you what will happen afterwards as far as we go into some teaching, we do this, we do that. So I think a follow-up at some point might be a good idea, okay? Well, thank you, Phil. And this is Phil Yeager, and thank you very much for watching our podcast, CPA Review and More. All right, please remember that we are sponsored by myself, Phil Yeager, Yeager CPA Review. And when you're looking for a CPA Review course, please check out each course. We're not the same because we're the only course that integrates the blueprints. Some courses say they give you the blueprints. Yeah, they give you the blueprints, but you can get those from the ASCPA website, all right? There's a difference of having the blueprints in the back of your books versus having them integrated within the text itself, okay? You gotta study these blueprints. And once again, all right, if there's any questions, you can get a hold of me. Here is my phone number. It is 301, that's in Maryland, 874-4900, extension 5. Let me repeat that, 301-874-4900, extension 5. All right. Also, if you have any suggestions for future shows, topics, please contact me. We try to accommodate people. So anyway, for those who are watching us, for those who downloaded, those who subscribe to this, thank you very much for your support. And we will continue to bring podcast to you of an interesting nature. Take care, everyone. Be well and be good to each other. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Jaeger CPA Review and more. As a token for our appreciation for your listenership, we'd like to offer you 10% off your next purchase with Jaeger CPA Review. Save between $50 to $150 with code PODCAST10. If you'd like more information, look us up on JaegerCPAReview.com. And as always, if you've enjoyed this show, please rate and review on iTunes or your preferred listening platform. Again, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to you tuning in next time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Jaeger CPA Review and more. This podcast is sponsored by Jaeger CPA Review, the course provider that deals only with the ASCPA blueprints. Please go to the JaegerCPAReview.com website and look at our various products. And we believe in seeing is believing. And therefore, please look at our three-day free trial. Pick a subject and it'll give you three days free access unlimited to that product. And I believe that once you look at that product and see how it works, you will pick Jaeger CPA Review as your course provider. If you have any questions, you can reach us at 301-874-4900. If you press 5, you may even talk to Phil Jaeger. Take care, everyone, on your journey for the CPA exam. We wish you the best and good luck. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of CPA Review and More. We are pleased to bring you the number one podcast for CPAs and CPA candidates. If you'd like to learn more about how Jaeger CPA Review can help you, find us on our website at JaegerCPAReview.com. Now, here's your host, Phil Jaeger.
Hello, everyone. This is Phil Yeager, and welcome to my podcast, CPA Review and More. And today, I say that it is some CPA review, but it's also more than that. So, you know, I have my guest today, Tom, and I must be honest and upfront, Tom was a student of ours in the Yeager CPA Review course, and he passed the exam. And uh, I'm not here to just praise the Yeager CPA Review course, but I want to give you an idea of what it's like to study for the exam. And what makes Tom sort of unique is that he took the exam later on in life, when he was 98, right? No, not 98, Tom, in his mid-40s, all right? And uh, and he wants, I, I think, let someone else tell you in their mid-40s, because people say, hey, I'm in my mid-40s, I'm too old to take the CPA exam, uh, I'll never pass. But Tom did pass, and I wanted him to share his uh, what he did as far as studying, that type of thing, all right? Good morning, Tom. How are you? Hey, Phil. Good morning, and thank you for having me today. It's my pleasure, Tom. Thank you. And Tom, uh, you did. You were a student of the Yeager CPA Review course, correct? Correct. All right. And uh, is there now one of the things that's very important is first of all, you're studying for the CPA exam is picking the right course. How did you decide to pick our course? And by the way, I'm going to try to be as unbiased as possible. I don't want people to think that I'm here just to promote the Yeager CPA review course. How did you decide to make, take one course over another? Great, great question. I think most people with the CPA review course, if there's not somebody they're working with recommending a specific company, they're starting with Google. So I started with Google, google.com. And Jaeger doesn't come up first. We know that. I mean, Jaeger's, Jaeger's a smaller company. You know, you're not paying millions of dollars in advertising fees. So I started looking, doing pre-trials. You know, when I looked at the bigger ones, I saw some things. And I was about ready to make a decision, but I had been reading some reviews and something told me, well, look at Jaeger. So I extended my search and I looked at Jaeger CPA review. Um, I did a free trial. I, I had a, I got a look at how the course was set up, the books. I read some things that people that seemed really knowledgeable um, and have some firsthand experience had written about that, and and I decided to give Jaeger a try. Now, um, a lot of testimonials that are online, okay, uh, you know, basically the internet is not controlled in any way. So, how did you know? That, you know, for example, and our testimonials are truly testimonials, but, you know, not all courses have actual testimonials. They could, you know, they could make it up and say anything they want. How could you tell that our testimonial was really uh, truthful versus, you know, ones that just, you know, the courses might write themselves and say how great they are? That's where I think you got to be really careful, because what I looked at is, um the companies that they have these sites and they review different CPA courses. I looked at that, but I kept in mind that they're all getting paid. So they're getting paid by different CPA review courses. But if I found consistencies and things they were saying, Jaeger's, uh, I, I got, I found some very consistent things that, that the books were very easy to follow. Um, so like I said, even among, <laughs> it's kind of like the news media, you hear a lot of things, but if you hear the same thing consistently, there's more likelihood that it's true. Did you uh, did you go totally on those? Uh, those are affiliate marketers who are supposedly reviewing the classes. 
did you find any, uh, by comparing, did you find any inconsistencies on what they were saying versus uh, what, uh, for example, what I might have told you about the course? And, uh, you know, once again, they're being compensated based on the review courses. So the question is, how did you know that what they're saying is a truthful review versus, you know, you know, they're being compensated. So, you know, maybe if they're compensated more by another course, they'll write something really even nicer about that course. Were you able to tell that some of those reviews might have been a little, you know, not exactly truthful where you knew that they were being compensated by the CPA review courses? I, I got that idea. Yeah, I got that idea when, when I put something in Google and it comes up first every time and I and I hear all this great information that there's there's going to be this shortcut and I can cut my time in half of studying and I, I tend to get suspicious. So so I did feel that there that that was going on. And, and that's part of the reason this took so long to find a review course. I literally was doing this for about six or seven weeks looking at all the different review courses. Now, what trial did you use? Uh, did you use that three-day trial? What trial did you use to uh, see how our course worked? Well, at the time, I believe it was more than a three-day trial because this was um, October, November 2019. So I, I, think you, I think you were closer to a week at that point. And you uh, got free use of it. Uh, you, no one restricted you and say you got to just use this part or that part of the in other words, we have the CPA, we have the CRAM course, we have the uh, test bank. You had complete access to that, correct? Yeah, I, I had definitely enough access to tell that, to make a decision about the course. Now, did you find a lot of the test banks? Did you look at any other test banks of other courses, all right, versus the Jaeger course? Yeah, and I looked at various parts. A lot of them were pretty locked down, where you could get just a just a small piece of the course. Um, you know, fair enough. I, obviously, they don't want to give the whole course away, but um, I, I was able to to make enough comparisons to 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 say I was willing to give Jaeger a shot. Because uh, we when we do our test bank, we don't necessarily have all the bells and whistles that the other courses have. You know, uh, uh, you know. We just have basically uh, multiple choice questions, all right? And uh, you can pick, you know, a certain number, but we don't have all these be you know, bells and whistles and supposedly we can tell you based on how you do on a multiple choice, whether you should take the exam now or not. That's a big thing now. That seems to be, you know, all the courses come up with their gimmicks. And uh, I always felt that our course was more or less just a straightforward course, you know? Uh, study the material. All right, study the concepts, understand them, and then practice with multiple choice questions. And let me ask you, do you feel you needed hundreds and hundreds of multiple choice to practice with? Not really. I, I think that that was one thing I, I liked about Jaeger was the multiple choice questions were geared toward the blueprints, I felt. And I think that they were strategically placed in such a way that if you got through those, you had a pretty good you know, pretty good understanding of the blueprints if you can make it through all those um, multiple choice questions. Because there are courses that say uh, they have thousands of multiple choice questions. And uh, and also they recommend you do thousands of multiple choice questions. All right. And if you keep doing them over and over and over, you'll pass the exam. All right. You think that's the case that you have to do, you know, you do thousands of questions and uh, and the more you do, the better chance you have of passing the exam. What do you think of that 
statement. Um, it definitely not a, an approach I wanted to try. I, I think that somebody could do thousands of multiple choice questions. And if they really were to dig into why each one was wrong, they might be able to, that would be kind of a backwards way of studying that I wouldn't want to pick at this point. Um, I think people get sold on that because they think it's a shortcut. You know, they think, okay, well, I, I don't have to study the material. I don't have to read the, the book. I don't have to listen to lectures. You know, and maybe if you would have caught me 15 years ago, I might have been more into that type of wanting to seek out that type of shortcut. But um, I, I just don't see there is any I don't see there being any shortcuts to this. How did you prepare yourself for the task based simulations when you took the exam? Didn't they have did they have the task based simulations? Yeah, um, I think that going through. So, yeah, you had, you know, eight of them on FAR and eight on audit and BC had four and three written communications and I believe uh, regulation had, you know, eight, if I'm remembering correct here. But um, with those simulations, I think once you through the material and you understand it and, and Jaeger has some simulations and also the AIC, AICPA practice test helped a lot there. Well, once again, uh, as a review course, we're competing against these other courses who, once again, you know, claim they have thousands or hundreds of task-based simulations to practice with, all right? Uh, why didn't you take a course that had more task-based simulations to practice with? Yeah, I, I guess at the end of the day, I, I wonder if if you told me that you had a FAR course with 500 task-based simulations and 5,000 multiple-choice questions, would I even make it through those? That's true. At the end of the day, there's only so much time, and, and you, you've got to gain an understanding of the material, because you get to the exam, they're not going to ask you a sim simulation that you saw in a review course. You don't know what they're going to ask you. Uh, would you say that studying, you studied the blueprints, right? Yeah. Right? And uh, they are integrated in our books. By studying the blueprints and the text material, uh, did you come across any areas on the different parts of the exam that were not stated in the blueprints? Yeah, like I said, going to the exams, I never felt surprised by any simulation or multiple choice question. Um, out of, like I said, you know, hundreds of multiple choice questions and I think 31 simulations, there was one simulation on BEC where I'm not sure where they were going on it. But other than that, I, I never had that feeling on, on any of the tests. I, I felt like I was pretty well prepared for whatever they put there. What was the, uh, when you finished going through your initial studying, okay, watching the videos, uh, doing the multiple choice in the back of the books, I guess, and the test bank, all right, what did you do as a final review before you went in there? Um, I, and this is one thing that, that's helped me a little bit older in life, being a little bit more established job-wise. I actually took a week off of work um, for most of the tests. And I would, one of the final things I would do is I'd go through the multiple choice in the Jaeger books. In some cases, I would reread the books or um, I went through the cram course right before that week off. Um, I would... Um, usually just keep keep reviewing between simulations, multiple choice, um, things in the books, notes, um, whatever it took to, to feel I had a really good understanding of everything. How did you use the CRAM course uh, to determine uh, what you should go over again? 
Well, a cram course is really good because gone through the books, I'd gone through multiple choice, I'd gone through simulation and these video lectures, they're through two, three months ago, sometimes even more than that. The cram course, now you've got a course with half the time you can go through it in, you know, maybe three or four days. Um, it, it, it gives you a really good idea of here's refreshing everything nine days before the exam. So, you know, that's kind of how I used it. I, 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 you know, watched it again, you know, nine to 10 days. I started about 10 days before the exam and finished it in some cases, six or seven days before the exam. So once again, all that material is really fresh again. If you didn't use the cram course at the end, if you went through everything, you think you still would have passed the exam? Um, I think I would have still passed regulation in business environment and concepts. I wouldn't have had as high of a score. Um, probably not with audit. And it probably would have been on the border with FAR. When you did the cram, uh, did you go through the cram and say, I know this area, but I'm not good on that area? You know, did, and then did you go back to those specific areas? and study them more. Is that the way you use the cram or did you just uh, watch the cram and uh, you wanted to see what areas you were weak on and basically more spend more time on that? I'm not sure. What did you use the cram for? Obviously, it's a review at the end. It covers the concepts. We don't really do questions, all right? When you finish the cram, all right, were you able to determine what areas you need to go back and really go and look at again? Yeah, I guess I'd say D, all the above on that. So it, it was a review. It triggered the memory. Um, and it also directed me back to some other areas. I mean, especially far, far, far just, it goes on forever, you know? So it, you know, there, I had to, you, you forget what you forgot with far. So I, I def, it definitely helped. It was very helpful with far. When you came out of the different parts, did you feel you had passed them or? You weren't sure, or did you come out like everyone else and say, gee, I failed that part, I failed that part? Um, what was your yeah, feeling after you came out? Yeah, I, I actually, um, and this is something you pr probably haven't heard from a lot of students before, I would text myself the score that I thought I got after I left the test. So um, in every score I felt, I, every test I felt I passed, and, and my text upon leaving was within, was within one to three points every time. So... So in other words, you walked out, you looked at that approach and you said, I think I passed that part. Is that the way you did it? Or yeah. I, were you still unsure? That's, I guess that's the um, I, I, I left far. I thought there was a 90% chance that I passed it. Um, I texted myself my score when it was released. It was within three points of that. I, um, the only one that was close was I thought there was a 60% chance that I passed audit. Um, and audit was even closer. But I felt that there was a 90% chance I passed BEC. And with regulation, I thought there was a 99% chance that I passed it. To pass the auditing part of the exam, okay, all right, did you ever work in public accounting? Um, I, I worked as a tax specialist with a financial planning company, and we had relationships with some accounting firms, and I did work for a couple months here and there at those accounting firms, but not very much public accounting. Can you pass the auditing part of the exam without um, uh, being in public accounting? Yes. Now, back then, what was your requirement, though, to get the license? What was the experience requirement? Are you talking about my my requirement? And because I was just licensed in Michigan about six weeks ago, so oh, really? Okay. So, um, uh, 
All right. What, what's Michigan's experience requirement once you pass the exam? Um, um, you have to work in a public accounting firm. What's the experience? Requirement? Um, t- two thousand hours of um, experience, and they broadened it in twenty ten, where it can be tax preparation. Um, they, they call it general industry experience, audit, um, things like that. So it's uh, two thousand hours within a five year period. You don't have to work in a public accounting firm. You don't have to work in a public accounting firm. Is that still the case today as we speak? Yeah, that, that's still the case. Um, like I said, it at one point you used to have to have the actual audit, that type of audit, financial statement on it. But in 2010, they changed the law on that and, and you no longer need that. Because uh, I, I was under the belief that most states follow the same experience requirement. Namely, you have to work one year in a public accounting firm, all right, doing audits, that type of thing, or... Uh, you can work in a non-CPA uh, firm, all right? But you have to have a CPA who's willing to sign off on your experience, all uh-huh. right? Yeah, Michigan does have that. A CPA had to sign off on my experience, a license. Is that what a CPA did on yours? Yes. Okay. So how did you convince, who's the CPA? You know, because I know that thing says, under the penalties of perjury, okay, all right, that I could doesn't that, did that scare someone signing off? How did you get someone to sign off on that? Well, I had really good documentation of a project that I'd worked on and in all the hours were logged in a database. So, and I actually had about 3000 hours within a four year period of time. On so they felt it was a pretty open and shut case, I think. And I don't think they had any worries there. You had one person who signed off, yeah. only one person. Who could yeah. attest to those 3,000 hours that you worked on a certain project? Yes. Now, you work for a government agency, federal government, correct? Uh, a state government. State government. And you found a person to sign off, correct? All right? Correct. Did you find a problem finding someone to sign off on this? That's a really good question, because when I started 10 years ago, somebody that hired in the same day as me pass the CPA exam within a few months, and they had trouble finding somebody. But in the past, I'd say eight or nine years, a lot more people become licensed. So I actually had a couple different choices this time. I believe the experience requirement today with the one year working in public accounting or getting someone to sign off on the work you do, they're finding it very hard. A lot of people are finding it hard to get the experience requirement. All right, because they can't find a CPA who's willing to sign off. You know, if they don't work in a public accounting firm for a year, they're finding they're finding a lot of trouble getting people to sign off on this. And uh, they, a lot of students, you know, they go through the five year thing now, or you don't have to get a master's program, but it's five years of college. They come out, do the five years, and then all of a sudden now they got to go find someone to sign off if they don't work in public accounting. What do you think of that? I mean, you think that's turning people off? Uh, uh, is the, are they the state boards? Are they making it too difficult to get the CPA license? Um, that's probably the case in some states. I didn't think it was bad in Michigan, and um, and I think there's a, a lot of employers that'd be willing to work with someone here. Uh, so I, from that part, I, I haven't experienced that much of that side. Now, you work now for state and local government, correct? Correct. Right? And are you doing state and local government accounting? Is that what you're doing? Yeah. All right. And prior to that, you were a tax specialist in a financial planning company? 
Correct. All right. So the question is, all right, why did you leave? Which of the obviously of the two areas you've been in, you enjoy state local government more than a tax specialist and financial planning. Is that correct? Or am I putting well, uh, it? You know, my heart would be more in that line of work, but I kind of liked working eight to five better than eight to midnight, Um, especially during tax season. Um, Having met my wife, wanted to get married, have a child, this situation works a lot better for that. I I really did enjoy the the private sector, though. As a tax specialist in a financial planning company, you had to work long hours? Yeah, very long hours, because in addition to doing all the tax returns, we were doing tax planning. Um, so we're meeting with people all summer, try, trying to trying to make decisions that, that they could still kind of impact their tax return. Like in July, they, you know, once the tax season's over with, the t- tax return is a pretty historic document. But if you start working on that January 1st of the year, it's going to be filed um it's a little different you know because you're you're making decisions and you're doing things with your with your investments with your business or things like that uh so really the company just did financial planning they were not a cpa firm doing financial planning all right they were a financial planning company correct yeah they were a financial planning company um but i worked for a um, a tax planning company, which is under the same umbrella. So you have a group, and then under that group, you had a financial planning company and a tax planning company. So let me understand. This was a CPA firm that had a, a financial planning department. Is that what it was? No, this was a financial planning company. Um, I worked for a tax planning company that was under the same umbrella. You know how you have a group of companies? Yes, yes. Um, but I actually worked for tax the tax and business company. So, uh, you know, there's a certification for financial planning, a CFP, okay? All right. Is there a reason you didn't go for the CFP or do you have a CFP? Well, they they tried to split those. So the uh, when you when you're on the financial planning side side, you're you're licensed with a series seven, a, a series six, a life accident health. Um, maybe a series 24 and the certifications that follow that are the chartered financial consultant and the, the certified financial planner being on the tax side, I was looking, I was an enrolled agent looking to maybe become a CPA. So, so we kept those separate most of the time. Uh, you really didn't have to become an enrolled agent though. I mean, you could just pass the CPA exam because I mean, what's the advantage of having the enrolled agent and the CPA, uh, is there any uh, duplication there? Um, I, I think that, you know, I was I was an enrolled agent back in, you know, I took the exam back in 2005, became an enrolled agent in 2006. It, it was way easier to do that than I wouldn't have had all the requirements to be a CPA at that point. So I think it was a good start and I got a lot of mileage out of it. Um, I plan to keep both designations just because there's, I think there's some degree of specialization there. I mean, you can meet a lot of CPAs and they couldn't tell you much about taxes. I mean, they, they can tell you about Roth conversions. Like if I wanted to go back into the planning end, or they couldn't tell you a lot about, you know, corporations and basis. And I think the EA, it, it gives you a little bit of a distinction that way. I've looked at the EA exam and I think their questions on taxes seem harder than the ones on the CPA exam. Um, I thought they were. Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, when I took the test, it was an 11-hour test over two hours. days. 
Wow. 11, 11 hours over two days administered by the IRS. Now it's Thompson Prometric and you take it in three parts, but it, it wasn't like that before. So it was given in a similar way to the CPA exam back then. So if you are an enrolled agent, would you recommend if you can meet the requirements to take the CPA exam that you should also have the CPA designation with the enrolled agent? Or can you just get by with the enrolled agent? Well, that's that's a really good question because part of what inspired me to become a CPA was I remember meeting clients. I remember meeting one client. I had just passed the enrolled agent exam, 11-hour test over two days. I'd been studying tax planning strategies. I met her. I came up with a bunch of good ideas from her situation. And we got done and her first question was, are you a CPA? And when we started talking and I tried to ask her, you know, what she thought of the CPA designation. And she said she didn't know what it was. She said, I don't know what it is. I know you have to have it. So I think there's this belief out there that um, even people that this is a business owner that makes a lot of money, that's pretty successful. And they just see that CPA designation in a different light. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because a lot, there's a shortage of CPAs, all right? The number of people taking a CPA exam has dropped tremendously. And I'm wondering, if maybe uh, people don't know what the CPA does, all right? You know, I mean, uh, when I graduated college, everyone said, oh, you got to go take the CPA. It's an academic exam and just out of school. Uh, now, uh, we didn't have a shortage back then. I mean, we had so many people taking the exam. And that was because there was no 150-hour rule. Uh, experience requirement, well, in Maryland, there's no experience requirement back then. Now there is. But I'm wondering if maybe people don't really know what a CPA does. And all they think about is he's a pencil pusher doing bookkeeping. Okay? All right? Uh, and maybe that, I mean, it's, you know, it comes up in different meetings that I've gone to. Why are less people taking the CPA exam? Okay, is it just the generation that's coming out of school, or uh, is there some other reason? Now, I never really hear what the reason is. They, because they, they, they actually, this is a course providers. We go to meetings with the CPA examination division, all right, twice a year, and they ask uh, any any suggestions on how we get people to take the CPA exam because there is a shortage, and actually, the number of people taking it is dropping. All right. So, I mean, would you say that maybe they had, first of all, I ask this, why do you think the number of people taking the exam might be dropping? I'm not sure on that. I, I wonder if it could have something to do with, it's a pretty hard path and there's a lot of other paths you can go through and probably make, if, if you're trying to make a lot of money, you can probably do that pretty quickly. Um, so some people come out of college, you know, with different IT fields and they're already making a six figure income. I, I could see something. Um, I, I could see that having an impact. Yeah, I tell you, I think I agree with you on that because uh, people coming out of college, they majored in finance. All right. Or IT. And they don't have to go for a fifth year of a college. All right. Yeah. And the starting salaries are so much higher than a CPA, you know, an accountant going into a CPA firm, that type of thing. Uh, that, I mean, I think people are, you know, materialistic, however you, however you put it, you know, yeah. hey, I want to come out and I want to make as much money as I can. All right. I think it's, I think it's very idealistic to think, hey, I'm going to major in accounting and I don't care if my starting salary is 20,000 less 
I is still going to get that CPA designation. I don't think that's the case. Uh, I think it has to do with, you know, beginning salaries. Yeah. Well, in back to what you were saying earlier on, on whether I'd recommend someone pursuing it if they're already an EA. Um, when, I don't know if you remember when the whole economy collapsed in 2008, we had the Great yeah, Recession, 2009. Um, during that time, I was trying to get into a mid-sized regional accounting firm. So they're probably the 15th biggest in the United States. And I talked to the recruiter. She said, your resume looks really good, but you're not a CPA. Right now, because there's so many people looking for work and keep in mind michigan had been in a single state recession for six or seven years and then the great recession hit and she said all i can hire now is cpa she said that'll probably be different in a couple of years but that so that was kind of, and that's 2009 2010 so that's 10 years ago 10 11 years ago but that that's what i was told by a you know a recruiter at a pretty prominent accounting firm but how was the starting salaries uh you, did you, I don't know if you had a basis of comparison, you know, uh, being a CPA or not being a CPA, did it pay from a financial situation to, to become the CPA? All right. Now, obviously, in that case, you had to be a CPA. There was no choice. All right. But uh, still, uh, you know, there is still a shortage. Yeah, I think I, I think as far as it paying, I, it probably doesn't pay on day one, but I think five, ten years down the road is when it really pays. Yeah, and actually during the uh, Great Recession, okay, uh, they were laying off finance majors, okay, all right? They were hiring CPAs instead of finance majors. And I, I think during a good economy, all right, yes, Finance people get jobs as financial analysts, whatever. All right. But the minute the economy turns, you know, goes downhill. All right. Then they want to get the CPAs on board to try to determine what the problems are. All right. But right now we're in a very, well, supposedly we're in a strong economy. All right. And they just don't want to do accounting. I, I don't know. If, I think it may have to do with the fact that they really don't know what the CPA does that, you know, maybe they want something IT sounds sexier. Is that it? You know, uh, finance sounds sexier. All right. Being an accountant, that's, ah, you know, it's got a negative image. Um, by the way, I'm just curious. You majored in what when you graduated? Well, when you were in college, what did you major in? Um, economics. Economics. Okay. Yeah. So how did you get, would you have to go back for another degree or? Yeah, it, it, I actually, it was kind of a backwards path that I got into accounting. I was helping some coworkers with tax returns and I, I really liked doing tax returns. I ended up going to a, a tax school of a, a tax prep company and I really liked it. Then I went back to a community college um, and I, and they had a program that specifically works with people with bachelor's degrees, a very good program. Um, in that process, that's when I got even more interested in tax. I became an enrolled agent. The CPA, it was a goal. So this is 2005, 2006 when I finished this. Um, I did become an EA. And, and like I said, the CPA it got set aside until, like I said, the last year or two. You told me that you were in your mid-40s before you took the CPA exam. Is that correct? Correct. Why did you wait so long? Well, you know, the mid 44 is the new 37 and a half, so. I heard 36. <laughs> 36, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, if you Google midlife crisis, 
you know, you see all these things like getting a sports car or a motorcycle and, and those, you know, they're all expensive, you know, pursuing the CPA exam, it seems a little bit better, but you no, know, it goes back to kind of what I was saying, you know, the, the experience with clients wanting to hire a CPA, the experience with the recruiter, you know, telling me your resume looks great, but you're not a CPA. Fast forward a little bit, I work in a governmental position. I'm watching people that have a CPA and doors are opening for, you know, maybe it's a position. I know a lot of the people at the top are, um, and it, it was always, it was kind of this, it was this bucket list idea, you know, or bucket list goal. Um, I hit mid forties, had a kid at 42, you know, saying so that was kind of. Um, Did your wife uh, have anything to do with that? Also, you said yeah, you yeah. Well, she's a few months <laughs> older than me, so so she had a kid at you know a little older form of forty two. Okay, all right. Um, you know, so she, so here I am. You know, I've got a kid. Um, a, a year later, I've got two parents. One has health problems. Um, my mom has a stroke a year later, a year after that, she recovered from it real well. And, and I thought to myself, okay, here I am, you know, 44 years old, when's this going to happen? And I realized with my daughter being, I'm extremely involved with her life, with her being two years old, that she went to bed at eight 30 every night and slept all night. So I'm a night owl. I, I study at night. So I realized I can study from 830 on most of the nights. Um, like I said, my mom had done really well. So you were 42 or so when you took the exam. How old were you when you actually took the exam? Um, when I actually took this, so I started studying at 44. Um, and when I actually took the exam, the first one, I was 45. So it spanned. I, I took three of them when I was 45 and one of them when I was 46. And during that period that you were not a CPA, had you started working in the state and local government or were you still with that financial planning? Um, I, I, I've been there for about 10 years and this is all in the last couple of years. So yeah, I had been with it, working in a governmental position. Thank you so much for listening to Jaeger CPA Review and more. As a token for our appreciation for your listenership, we'd like to offer you 10% off your next purchase with Jaeger CPA Review. Save between $50 to $150 with code PODCAST10. If you'd like more information, look us up on JaegerCPAReview.com. And as always, if you've enjoyed this show, please rate and review on iTunes or your preferred listening platform. Again, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to you tuning in next time.